Welcome to a Jordan edition of Levy Cast. We just finished the last dance or the first two episodes. And whenever I talk Michael Jordan or get really nerdy about Jordan, there's two people in particular that I like to call on and text and talk trash with. One would be Mark Grody, who is a returning guest. You can hear him on radio shows like 670 The Score. And he's also a Bears sideline reporter. The other one is one of the better con artists who's been doing radio for a long time, and he grinds like nobody I've ever seen before. He, you can hear him on WGN Radio. He does stuff for fan-sided, and if there's something, Jordan, you'll always find Mark Carmen. Hi, Mark. Dan, I'm a borderline offended and just flattered all at the same time. Thank you so much. Hey, I think anybody in this media business are con artists. We all are. And in some ways, we're all pretty uh, narcissistic to think that people would actually want to hear what we have to say about things. I mean, who are we? Who are we? I have a huge ego. Marco? Massive. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) and Dan, by the way, you're going to have to refer to us by our last names because when you started the show and you said, Mark, I didn't know if I was supposed to talk. Or if Carmen was supposed to talk. Well, this, so well, this, make sure you're Dan. Dan, Martin, I'm just telling you what you have to do. Okay. The best part about this is that say one of you guys accidentally falls off the uh, the podcast that we're doing here because we're all in our remote locations. If I say, Mark, one of you guys are going to jump in and I won't look, look like an asshole. So this is good. Yeah, but we'll look like assholes because we're going to talk over each other. That's and- why That's why I didn't invite Dan Dorfman because two Dan's and two Mark's would have been really weird. <laughs> Where get, is our leader? Get Dorf in here right now. No. I don't. I don't feel whole without the Dorf. But well, we can we can get him on later. First, let me dive into you two. Yeah, we all watched the last cast before the show was even done. Mark Carmen was on a podcast already. This is the one that I was waiting for. I know you guys are are chewing at the bait right here. What did you guys? I mean, overall, I know we all loved it, but what did you guys? What what stood out to you, Carmen? Well, thank you, Dan. Um, I'm still crying. I, it was very, uh, it was an emotional night. I didn't realize that when they went to the first break that I was going to actually need a tissue. And then I forget exactly what other break it was where I was feeling emotional too. But there was so much that stood out, right? The Jerry Krause dynamic is standing out. And I think I got over Jerry Krause about one and a half years ago. But now I'm back in it again. And it's always bothered me that so many in this wonderful city of ours think that that guy did a great job. And maybe I'm talking to two people who have the same thoughts now, but I always look at it and I'm writing something up at Fansided about this. Jerry Krause with always the wrong pick every single damn time with the exception of the Pippen and Grant trap that year. He got it right. The rest of his career, abject disaster. Uh, and I'll, you know what, I'll, before, before I, I don't mean to interrupt you cause you're going on a good tangent, but I'll also, I'll also, I will also say coach cause that guy was one of the better yeah, picks, yeah, even yeah. though nobody really wanted him. He was awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and Marco too, you can't, and you can't just gloss past Pippen and Grant like there. I mean, like Pippen's, uh, not only did he zero in on him, he made a trade for him. Grant was a massively good pick and then to have traded, Charles Oakley to the New York Knicks for Bill Cartwright. That was a pretty swift move as well. I, I will say this though, Carmo, because uh, Cross was one of my big takeaways last night as well. 
I, it's amazing how, so I, I don't think I've ever had a takeaway from anything that I've watched where a character has come across as both sympathetic and also as an ass, like <laughs> Jerry Krause, he was an ass, man. Like he had, he had every reason to sit back and enjoy the ride and he just refused to, he comported himself like he was a secret op, um, you know, it, it's sad when you think about somebody being made fun of for their weight or for their lack of height and, and all that kind of stuff. But it was like Kraus never really wanted to be liked. And he said some stupid things. There's no doubt about it. Allow me to uh, allow, uh, allow me to play just a little bit of a devil's advocate because everybody's crushing the guy. And I even went online last night and said, you know, it's kind of weird to see how hard they're going at him because the fact that he is dead. And that the only person that's sticking up for him is Jerry Reinsdorf, who everybody also hates. The thing that kind I kind of stuck up for him, but he wasn't always sticking up for him. But there was, <laughs> but there exactly. So there's, I mean, he's just the scapegoat in the in the documentary about the goat, which is kind of strange. But if you think about it, there is no real way to say we have to at some point these guys are going to pull the rug underneath me anyway. At some point, Jordan was getting old. Pippen was obviously very, very angry. Phil Jackson and Jerry Krause were not getting along. And Jerry Krause thought, you know, I've built this thing. I want to see if I could do it again. There's a lot of people who are maniacal like Jordan, and he was doing it from that standpoint. So he was saying, you know what? These guys all think that they got me. I want to show that I it wasn't just, uh, you know, beginner's luck. And also, if you think about it, I mean, when it all when you know when it all came down to what it came down to the next year, Jordan did cut off half of his finger on a cigar cutter. I mean, there were things that did play into it where who knows what kind of team this would have been. Maybe maybe it would have been a really, really bad next year. And that's the way to strap it down. I mean, I mean, right now we can only play the uh, this is what happened. But I, I, I'm going from a different set of eyes. I think he kind of wanted to be like, hey, you guys were all making fun of me. You guys all took shots at me and you guys were openly mean. So fuck it. You guys are all gone. Yeah, but he created that, Dan. They didn't. It, it wasn't like. Michael and Scotty set out to hate the guy from day one. He comported himself, as Marco just said, like an ass. And people turned on him, and rightfully so. So, which is, even, which is even more interesting because when this documentary goes around, we're all going to see just how not nice Michael Jordan was, and we're all going to say, well, that ego is what made him the greatest of all time. So, who knows? You know yeah, what I mean? I, I, yeah, and I, I mean, I thought as far as the not nice thing, like if that's what we're going to see last night, that's nothing. No, I mean, no, that's the, the, the Scott Burrell, which apparently is the one that he vocally said, I don't want people seeing is what's going to be, I guess. what. We're okay, gonna so to me, though, guys, it's, it's, it's different with Kraus. Kraus said dumb things. Jordan didn't say dumb things. When Kraus comes out and says, you know, the famous organizations win championships, not players, even if that's true. And you can make an argument that that is, I guess, by definition, it probably is the case because a lot of people go into it. You don't say that when you have all world players and the best player of all team uh, of all time on your squad. So saying stupid stuff like that and, and telling Phil Jackson that even if the team goes 82 and oh, that they ain't coming back next year. Those, those are, those are not asshole things to say. Those are just dumb things to say. And that was the problem with Krause. And that right. is something I cannot stick up for. <laughs> yeah, well, well, why why he would ever put himself in front of the team and not just be happy to be there 
go along for the ride. You know, I'm just the luckiest guy on the planet. I get to put a team together around Michael Jordan. It's, it's, it's an honor to be in this position. And I'm sure a lot of people could have the success that I'm having right now, but I was the lucky guy to be sitting in this seat. And I love trying to make Michael and the bulls as great as they are. If he, why not say something along those lines, but he needed the credit. It was exactly that was underlined last night, small man's complex, whatever you want to call it. He, he was, he was thirsting for affirmation and he got in his own way for, and it, and it hurt him. It hurt the bulls. And it, and, and the reality is it actually hurt Chicago because there should just be nothing but glorious, you know, celebration of what went on with this team. But instead, there was just a lot of turmoil that took away from at least part of the enjoyment. I mean, we still all love it, but it, it could have been so much different. And that's where I also put the onus again on Jerry Reinsdorf, because they also said in that documentary that prior to the season, you know, it was still up in the air and Phil Jackson and Jerry Krause weren't getting along. And that's when Jerry Reinsdorf said, I went to Montana and said, you're going one more year. I mean, why didn't he just hurdle it again? I mean, why did Jerry Reinsdorf decide not to do it at that point? I mean, there's there's two people on that shift, right? On that ship. I mean, Reinsdorf could have easily said, "Hey, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna bypass you again. Let's let's let it ride more." The one thing I will say though is, and I, I think that that one of the the things that I think people who didn't follow the Bulls back then or were too young to have known what was going on, um, that of course you could look at it and say, yeah, they could have probably kept this group together for another year, maybe another two years as well. But one thing I thought about was it, maybe it, maybe it ended prematurely, but what a perfect ending it was to have had two, three peats to then win in that final season, the way they did with Jordan's shot over Brian Russell, it truly is a perfect ending. Like, like if this thing was to go another year or let's just say even two years, there could, it, it could have, this documentary could have been a lot juicier as in things could have like completely imploded. And there's reasons to suggest that it would have imploded because of Dennis Rodman, because of Scottie Pippen, not only because of Scottie Pippen's hot and cold demeanor, but also because of the fact that he started to, his health started to fail. He had a bad back and and who would have wanted to see Jordan and the Bulls fail in that era that that would have been horrible to see and we never part of why this is also great is we never saw these guys fail never and that's and that's the best part about it is that maybe that maybe Jerry Krause actually saved everybody from seeing this team wither away seeing a Jordan get bad and I, I mean Pippen did have a bad back but you're forgetting he also went to Portland and had you know a couple monster seasons he just failed to the the closest thing to MJ and Kobe Bryant. And there's a lot of people that'll say who knows how the Bulls could have even done against a uh, a Laker team that, that was stacked with uh, Shaquille O'Neal. And there's even some people that said that maybe the Bulls couldn't even take it on a Hakeem Olajuwon in the Rockets because they had nobody that could take on a center like that. So with the league r- rising the way it did, I think it's almost for the best that we did not see them actually lose what could have been, you know, watching them pass the torch on, if you will. They would have smoked the Elijah Wan Rockets. Come on, man. <laughs> and and for the record, look, you know what we do in life? We bounce back. And if they had lost, I would have been damn ass happy to be in the United Center giving them a standing ovation as whoever knocked them off and thrown respect that way and give them that one last we can all cry together. It's over moment. We were ripped off from that. And it's just crazy to me. Look, 
Who in their right mind thinks they have a crystal ball that knows exactly when the hell the damn thing's going to be over? Are you really that smart? Because that's just, that's preposterous. And so I have that uh, crystal ball, bother- by the way. It still bothers me. I have that crystal ball. It just hasn't really worked for me in a while. Right, right. Well, now, you do. You're, but see, that, that's true. Now we'll, we'll shift it a little bit because you guys are sports guys. So it's easy to just keep volleying this back and forth. And I can throw lobs to you guys all day. That's not the reason I even had you guys on this podcast because I can do that with anybody. In fact, I'll be having Bill Wennington on my next one. But to be, <laughs> to, to, to not be such a joke. <laughs> The reason why I have you two guys on is because we're such fans. Now you guys had the luxury of being in Chicago for that run. I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't live here. I mean, I might. We moved around a lot as a kid, so I got to experience the Bulls from Omaha, Nebraska, where WGN was the only major channel that we had. And I went to see the Bulls once. I got to see MJ play once, and that was during that uh, that seventy two um, that seventy two team where they knocked everything out but i didn't get to see the last one i remember at one point my brother you can even see how people in chicago are more faithful my brother came down to visit us during the bulls finals and i actually had a party because my parents were out of town and my brother turned on the game and half the people there were like who are the bulls playing and my brother was shocked so the only thing that people really care about in a lot of these things are jordan and the only thing i'll say is he was so humongous what was it like for you guys to be here during that entire bulls run well, my, you know, just to give people the timeline for me, I was in junior high and high school for the pre-Jordan championships. And even some of that was just glorious as well. I mean, you know, we always forget to talk about the the pre, pre-Michael winning championships was just as entertaining in its own way because he was at the peak of his athletic powers and sometimes watching him just, you know, have a bunch of bad players around him was fun because all you wanted to do was see Jordan dunk and that's all he did to, to a to a large degree back in the day. Now, obviously I'm in you know, I graduated high school in ninety. So I'm in col- I'm college age. I'm prime ages, you know, nineteen through you know, whatever, and into my 20s while the Bulls are winning titles. So there was so much meaning behind it because my entire social life was planned around not just Bulls playoff games, but to a smaller degree, just even regular season games. It was like my crew of friends was like, okay, what do we do? What? Where are we watching the game tonight? We're going to go to a bar and watch the game tonight. Are we going to get together at somebody's house and watch the game tonight? Like Michael Jordan and and that version of the Bulls was something that that that's what we did. We we based our lives around the 90s Bulls and everything went from there. So it was like that was one of the things that I felt like in the beginning, like Carmo was talking about the the emotion that I was feeling early on and the nostalgia wasn't just for the bulls but it was for my life back then and for the friends and the crew that i hung out with now garvin i'm going to toss it to you because you not only were living here you're not only a diehard jordan fan but you lived in that area of deerfield highland wherever they were were you stalking jordan every day I was, but before I get to that, uh, I just want to underline what what Mark Grody just said there. I mean, that was so beautiful. I Marco, <laughs> that was just so awesome, and it it, it 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 well, it made me think back to you know University of Iowa, where are we watching the game, who's coming over, what are we grilling? I'm making my Carmen mac and cheese. Ooh, and, what is that? You know. <laughs> a solid mac and cheese Dan. digress digress yeah i mean we were it was you know it was so much fun 
And then I'm thinking back to 1993, Game Five against the Knicks, and I'm at my first ever girlfriend's. There, it's it's the, the must win. They're if they win this game, they're going to beat the Knicks and win the title. If they lose, you know they're not going to three P. And the Smith again, Smith again. Uh, the four shots at it, Michael the strip, Horace the block, the outlet, BJ the finish. And I remember just like running up to the radiator in the corner of the room and and have and just basically having sex with the radiator. I was so excited. <laughs> uh, so I maybe mean, we should be interviewing the it radiator. Was, it was. Hey, you know what that is? That's hot sex. Exactly right. I mean, it, it was burning love. It was so much fun. But I, you know, they. Part of the highlights that they showed last night was, you know, that the, the practices they were showing was at the Multiplex, which I think you guys know that part of the story. But Multiplex was a health club in Deerfield that cost like 40 bucks a month that my dad belonged to. And I was a high school kid would go there and hoop and the Bulls practiced there. So, oh, there's there's Michael walking in. There's BJ walking in. Wow. There's all of them. There's all of them walking in the summertime. They were all working out. Uh, lifting weights. You, my dad's taking a hot tub with Horace Grant. Tell him to save his money. I mean, it was <laughs> this was this was normal life. It was incredible. And Jordan lived on Windy Hill Lane, which was the name of my you know uh, intramural team in college. And you could go there on Halloween and be handing out Big Mac coupons. And I went there when they won the title in '91, and he pulled it in his white Porsche with his wife and shook everybody's hand. It was it was unbelievable. Wait, did you go trick or treating at Michael Jordan's house? I actually never did, but people did all the time, and we would just drive by there. I went by the other day, Dan. I I just he doesn't live there anymore. He's got the gated thing, obviously, and then and he's long gone out off to Charlotte or Miami, wherever the hell he is. Jupiter, but Florida, you, but that's another that's another story. Right. So, you know, we would drive by his house, see, see if we could get a peek at him. And um, he was the the house is was it was a normal house, a very nice. But like, you know, relative to Highland Park, it wasn't anything extravagant. And the driveway was about 15 feet right up, to, you know, right up to the garage. That is so, unbelievable. It, see, now that's that's something yep. I, I did not get to experience because, again, living in high school in Omaha, Nebraska, the biggest celebrity I saw was like the third string quarterback for the Huskers. So never would I have somebody in a hot tub with Horace Grant. I think my, my, the only real famous story of anybody when I was a kid is that my dad used to tell me that he was once in an elevator with Martin Luther King. And all he did was just kind of tell him a pun of a joke. And then that was it. So I was like, that's amazing. You, your dad having a hot tub session with Horace Grant is way cooler than that. Way cooler than that. We uh, oh Danny, if if only we could have lived the privileged North Shore. Life. Honestly, I, mean, honestly, I used to I used to see Will Purdue in the shower. I don't know how you know the whole thing. There's Will. <laughs> Let him get him a towel. <laughs> wow, that is a big foot. Um, so now the other reason that all three of us are pretty good at this because there's there's you know there are times where I do watch for some reason Hall of Fame speeches. And I've watched Jordan's maybe I watch it once a month because I think it's fantastic. But there is something that in Allen Iverson's speech that he said that stood out to the most the the most to me because I think all three of us have experiences. And I was actually telling my wife Jill about it that Allen Iverson said it best. The very first time that he ever saw Michael Jordan was during was pregame during the first time he ever played against him in the NBA. And he said that when he saw Michael Jordan, he saw the aura. He saw his actual like 
aura. And I actually can relate to that because the very first time I ever saw Michael Jordan was in a Bulls locker room when he, he was retired. And it was Scottie Pippen's last year when he came back for that one swan song of a season. And it was against the Supersonics. And the story goes where a security guard, because I was always asking security guards, you know, tell me about Jordan. And the one time the guy goes, hey, he's going to be here. Just, you know, when you go to the try to come early down the locker rooms at the end of the game and you, you might be able to see him. And sure enough, I did. But he was walking out the same time as the Sonics were. And you guys know that little ramp that they go out. And at that moment, even the Sonics players stopped and went, holy cow, that's Michael Jordan. And then, you know, everybody ran to him, but he vanished somewhere. And then I went into the locker room and I was just, you know, and we were all waiting for Pippen at the end. And then Jordan came out, came out. And for some reason, it was just me and two other people. And Jordan started talking trash to Eddie Curry because Eddie Curry was asking, you know, where would I, you know, who's, uh, whose locker would I be in? And then Jordan started looking at Pippen. They were laughing. He goes, you'd be in Judd Bushler's locker room because you don't really have that much skill. And then at, at the moment he said that, he looked at me. And Scotty Pippen put down his beer and slapped me on the shoulder as hard as he possibly could. And Jordan just looked at me and goes, you got to go, dude. And <laughs> next thing you know, the Bulls doors open up and you hear the security guard go, sorry, Dan. And I, well, I walked out of there. I had a Jordan hat on. My microphone wasn't even on. And I literally walked out of there as if a five-year-old just had a bully of the neighborhood knock off his ice cream cone. And told to just leave. And I was like, oh, some tears. <laughs> and I have felt horrible about that story until Mark Carvin shared his first story of Michael Jordan in the locker room. Please tell. Oh, come on. Make that me feel first. better. Yours yours is so good. And I <laughs> and, and and me and me and Mark both feel privileged to have witnessed your locker room act over the years. There's <laughs> been, <laughs> there's really never been anything better at how these guys all seem to love you from Dwight Howard to Shaq to Kobe to, I think to it's, whoever. I think it's because in all honesty, and I've, I've had this conversation with Carmen with uh, Grody before. The only reason I've gotten along with these kind of players is because the two of you guys are very credible human beings in our, our industry. And you're very, you guys like to ask questions. You guys are on credible radio stations and outlets. I was on a show called the man cow show and my microphone didn't even work. I don't have any record <laughs> of any audio I've ever taken in any locker room. It never worked because I was just there to network and man cow would give me a hundred bucks if I can get an athlete to call or even come into the studio. So I think those guys recognized very quickly that the 25 year old with the deep voice who's about 80 pounds overweight who jumps around like a brand new golden retriever is not here to harm us. Those two, <laughs> Carmen and Grody, they actually have an outlet to do something. So maybe we'll just be a little more professional with them. See, and that guy is this fun. Is, this is bullshit, man. I had to work my ass off in my career. I, I'm doing like eight raps a night and not even paying attention to what's going on. And Dan's out there lollygagging. This is some BS, man. Well, that's why. It, it but but, but in, all, in all fairness, you two are still employed. And I'm doing a podcast out of my makeshift studio bedroom where my son is screaming out loud at a Toy Story figure. So I think, I think, the, I think, the, I think life has evened itself out. 
This is, first of all, you're doing a great job, and this is an incredible opportunity. Thank you for having both of us on here. <laughs> Second of all, Dan, the fact that everybody would be standing there in dead silence, afraid of whatever athlete, and then Levy would walk in and be like, what's up, LeBron? <laughs> and get a fist bump from LeBron while we're all like just what's sitting there. <laughs> it's like, how the fuck do you have the balls to say that to that dude? And now he's responding to you. <laughs> because again, I have nothing to lose. I if they well, said, you know what, that that uh that press pass of yours is invalid, I'd just go, All right, see you guys later. Hey Carmel, Carmel, so we're doing a Levy and I I'm watching Levy at action. It's a Bulls Lakers game, Lamar Odom Lakers and and Shaq, obviously. And Lamar is running <laughs> we're we're down in the tunnel where the players run out onto the court and uh, Dan and I are standing there and he comes out and Dan does like, Hey, what's up Lamar? And Lamar, Lamar, Lamar looks at me, smiles and throws his shoulders up. Like what's going on with this guy, man? (laughs) (laughs) This is like right before game time. And he's Lamar looking at me like laughing, like what? Like trying to get some sort of answer. Like he wanted me to answer for Levy. It was perfect. It was perfect. The look he gave to you was literally like he looked at me like I was an alien. It was fantastic. Like, help me out with this guy. And you were slash are like had no care for where you were, how you had gotten there. As you just said, if you were going to get kicked out, and we just said everybody was your friend, which at times they were. (laughs) Well, let's just say that time that I spent with Man Cow. I would make at least 500 bucks a, a month just because I got the athletes like that. So for me, it was like, if this guy says no, then I go out of the next slot. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, I, I had a whole green room full of offensive linemen from the Bears. I didn't care who they were. They were just there. So didn't matter I mean, to me. Alan, Iver- Alan Iverson was screaming at me saying, what the fuck kind of question is that? You. <laughs> 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 You you were getting out Iverson on the show. I was <laughs> not only did I have Iverson on the show, but he was sending me mixtapes because I said I would put it underneath uh, different bits for our nationally syndicated morning show. So that worked out for me. Good job, Danny. Uh, but I mean, you, you, I, honestly, yeah. I, all three of us, I mean, we all come at this Bulls thing because. I mean, that's why we got it. I think that's the reason I got into sports is because of Jordan. I'm pretty sure it's for you too, Mark and or Carmen and Grody. Uh, I'm sure you're just a sports guy at heart. You love all the teams, but I mean, that really like, I mean, I've said to other people before, like I was never athletically gifted, but Jordan was so good. He just made me want to be around that. So I'm, I'm pretty well, sure it's the same well, for you. What about the Carmel story? What was this time? We all hijacked so, your story. Ah, bring okay. it on. Well, and and I would just underline too for for me uh, and and Mark, I think I can just you know it was a really truly a privilege to grow up in Chicago with the the eighty four Cubs and the eighty five Bears. I'll throw them, um, and then of course the Jordan era and the other you know whatever if you, we can throw in uh, the White Sox and the Blackhawks too. But I think that for Marco and I, those were kind of like tentpole growing up sports things. But Jordan, for me, was always one. I think for, for Grody, I think he's ultimately a Bears guy at the end of the day. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that, Marco. It's about right, but I mean, yeah. the 90s Bulls were, were its own entity. Right, of course. I, 85 Bears was the greatest thing ever. And I mean, but anyway, I'll tell my story. He, <laughs> I, was, I graduated college with a psychology degree. I had zero plan in life. 
I was going to be a trader. My brothers were both traders. They were older than me, but I had quickly failed out of that. And so I was like, well, what am I going to do? So I, 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 went to, I went to Columbia College to learn the basics of radio. And I only did that because they had a play-by-play class which allowed you into the Bulls locker room. That's I, actually, and that's how I got started too. The same teacher, the same class, same everything. Red Motlow. Right. So Motlow's class, you got to go to a game. So I got to go game three of the 96-97 season, their fifth tr- title. And Jordan had been on the Oprah Winfrey show the day before. He, um, the the last dance, not the last dance space jam was coming out in 10 days. So he was going on Oprah to promote it. And Oprah played this old song, cool Modi's how you like me now that they found some tape of Jordan and Horace Grant and Scottie Pippen and Sedale Street. We're all dancing in some mall in a karaoke style place to how you like me now. Jordan's wearing sunglasses and they all look ridiculous and it was hysterical and Jordan was embarrassed. So we get, so that was the day before. So now we're in the locker room after the game with red Motlow's class and Jordan talks to all the TV reporters. He talks to all the radio reporters. He talks to all the newspaper people. And now he's just hanging out at the locker, his locker just talking to the randos that are left of which I'm one of them. And there's like, I don't know, 15 of us and most, maybe 10 people talking to me, Cheryl Ray and whoever the hell else was there. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to ask Mike a question. Right. You know, this is my first time in front of him. I've seen him at the multiplex, which we hit on earlier, but I got to ask him a question. So I'm thinking, well, what should I ask him? You know, they blew out the Grizzlies and I don't want to ask that. Um, oh, why don't I ask him about the how you like me now dance? So I, you know, he's having this great time. He's laughing. Everybody's in a great mood and i just go from like the corner this random weird trying to be like dan levy but failing miserably <laughs> hey hey michael how about a little how you like me now dance a la oprah and he turns and he looks at me and he's kind of confused and then he shakes his head and he knows that he thinks he's being weirdly challenged by me and he just starts shaking his head and says don't jump in as in don't don't jump don't jump into the conversation you're a hack and everyone starts laughing they all want to mock the the young reporter and jordan walks away and the interview is over and he's into the night and i I never know if i'm gonna have a credential to the lock you know there again it's the one time you get to go with red motlow's class this was my moment with michael and i wanted to kill myself (laughs) oh my god dude i i like just felt pain for you i i would have honestly i think i would have cried like that is a (laughs) that that, i'm feeling your nightmare right now you've made a nice recovery marco but my god that's horrible that is it's it's almost it's almost castrating almost castrating yeah, and then I'm telling my friends the story. Like they're like, "Wait, what did you ask him?" <laughs> <laughs> so like, don't jump in was very, very popular with the Carmen clan back in the day. <laughs> like the only don't the, jump. In. The only story that I, I and I, it cannot compare to that. But the only time and I've told Grody this story before was that Russell Westbrook. I was in the locker with them. The when the Oklahoma City Thunder for some reason barely scraped by the Bulls. And it was that it was right when they traded Harden to the the Rockets, and they, for some reason, at the very end, you know, Russ, you know, Westbrook went nuts, and they, him and Durant, you know, they they beat the Bulls at the end, 
And again, he was there all by himself. And I just was going to ask a question because I had nothing better to do. Again, not recording anything. And all I said to him was, in this type of moment, is this where you actually kind of miss the presence of James Harden? And at that moment, he <laughs> turned around, got very close to my face where I could smell his breath. And he goes, we won. And I was like, okay. And then he goes, <laughs> and then he, and he kept looking at me. And he, he did the, uh, you know, he looked me up and down. And he goes, we won. And But for some reason, other reporters jumped in. Well, what do you mean you won? And he, they started getting, like, they, they came into my defense. And I just kind of looked back and I actually walked into Kevin Durant. They put his hands on my shoulder like Scotty Pippen and went, you just kind of gave me the pat. And I looked up and I went, I know that's, I know that sign. I'm out of here. And I just walked out. <laughs> but it, but you're, but it, it was like that where it stopped everything. But for that moment, everybody kind of came to my defense because it was Russell Westbrook and nobody liked him. I mean, I couldn't even imagine if I'd stopped it and made MJ leave. So for that, I, I feel for you. Westbrook was an intimidating dude. You're like, Go ahead, you're Marco. Like, uh, you're like, Westbrook. I, dude, <laughs> people like me, man. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm harmless. Look, hey, micro- hey. the microphone cord hey. goes into no, my... No, no, this is my gig. Come on. Look, the microphone cord is tucked into my shoe. Everyone's cool. No one no one knows what's going on. No. Can you come on back out? <laughs> hey, do you want to come on the madhouse? Hundred bucks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you truly uh, I'm, I'm actually surprised dan that you haven't had more of those moments because you literally will say anything and the fact that more people haven't been offended by you is truly amazing shocks the hell out of me every time i left one of those locker rooms and went i think i actually made a friend tonight and it's somebody that i've looked up to all my life it's yeah, always been it's always been a little it's always been a little bit weird that way now before we end this podcast i want to ask you guys this because is there anything that you guys learned from the last dance? Cause there was a lot of things that I saw and I think it's cause I've absorbed so much Jordan in my life that I'm not sure if I actually learned anything yet. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for some real Jordanism to start. I mean, I know they're saying that the bullying's coming. That's the stuff I really want to see, but I don't think I actually learned anything yet. Yeah, I didn't either. I didn't either. I was some, I was actually on the radio uh, earlier and, I thought I was saying like, it's kind of like I've read the book, so to speak. And now we're seeing the movie. And so far there, there is nothing that I've learned. It accentuated what I, what I already knew, but I didn't necessarily learn anything new. I guess, I don't know if you consider this learning something new, but I was fascinated by the, the early, early, the rookie year Jordan practices where basically they the, the the players on that team, Orlando Woolridge and Quinton Daly and all those cats, they knew that Jordan was the best player and they allowed him to be the best player and they kind of took a backseat to him, which you just never see with rookies. And I was fascinated by how fast it happened for Jordan that he took over the team and he probably wasn't hazed like usual rookies and not treated like a rookie. So I don't know if that's something I I learned as much as I was fascinated by. I will also say that I I, I half believe that Michael Jordan went into a room full of teammates, half of it cocaine, half of it weed, and half of it girls, that he didn't stay longer than he did. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that guy maybe took a couple of tokes or something and brought one of those girls back. I don't see him, you know, you know, being Mr. Clean and being like, all right, I'll see you guys later. Oh, I, I believe that part of the story. He's, he's definitely walking out of there. He did at least allude to the fact that he's, 
drinking more now. But of course, he's got that. He had that you know huge glass of whiskey next to him, which he hadn't, from what I could tell, sipped on uh, the entire show. But I, I actually, there were details in there that that shocked the hell out of me. Playing golf with Danny Ainge. That was a, that was a good one. Yeah. I'm oh like, yeah, what? good call, like, Carm. Good call. I was like, uh, I couldn't believe that, right? I mean, I, I I didn't know they had that level of relationship, and that he would have the audacity. Hey, Danny, tell your boy DJ that I got something special for him. Like, whoa, <laughs> you're yeah. like, you know, your second year, Michael. That level of confidence. I was like, oh my god, this guy was, he was playing playing that down a lot at that time. Um, you know what? Uh, I, thought, I, I, yeah. I I just want to interrupt you for one quick second because it's interesting that you said that because. What it brought back to me was during that season when they showed that Jordan did everything he could to play, like we saw the reverse of that because the Bulls did the same thing to Derrick Rose and he followed suit saying, I'm not coming back. So it is kind of interesting that it took a guy like Michael Jordan who just wanted to win at an insane level to break that Bulls chain because the Bulls do that. They do that with, with players like, oh, you know what? Joe Kim Noah's hurt, so we're going to shut him down for the season. If it was up to Reinsdorf, he probably would have shut Jordan down for two seasons. Yeah, and the fact that he named that, or however they put it, that that fractured the relationship with him and Krause forever, that was spot on. I, that was a good job by them to, by Jason and his crew to sort of hone in on that. Because I, I, don't, I don't think it was ever the same for him because he, he knew he was with guys that were not on the level that he was on as far as just wanting to win. Um, and that at, includes, at all, that includes all coaches costs. and management. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the the other stuff that I thought was interesting too was just the dynamic. I knew that him and his brother competed, but I didn't know like the fist fight part of it and how that. Like I was trying to put myself in the mindset because I would never have done that with my brothers. No, but to actually be in like a terrifying fist fight with a brother that's older than you and you might you know like that it it, it sort of crystallized a little bit more what his competitiveness was all about and how his dad was constantly on his ass. Um, so I, I didn't I didn't quite understand that dynamic as much as you know they kind of underlined it and in episode one and two. Well, I look forward to the next one because I think we'll have you. I'll, we might even do this again on Monday for next week too. But kind of looking forward Did to guys- the kind of looking forward to the Phil Jackson one. But the Dennis Rodman is probably the other wrinkle that I'm really really curious about. And I actually kind of hope that they they kind of go into a little more detail of like when Dennis Rodman actually got there. Like was he. You know, I was. What was the first practice like? Was MJ screaming at him? Were they kind of sizing each other up? I kind of want to know some real details about that. I I hope that they don't make him out to be a hero. But really, why is that? Because he's a piston, Dan. He's not a. (laughs) He's a. He's a gun for hire. His jersey's hanging up in the Palace of Auburn Hills, or whatever the hell it is now. But what he, well, what he did for Chicago is way cooler than what he ever did for Detroit. Yeah. I don't know, man. The bad boys are. There's a certain something about that too. I, I wonder if he, if he could ask, if if you ask Dennis, hey, we'll either take out the Detroit part of your career or the Chicago part of your career. Which would you take out? I would think he'd say the Bulls. Well, because of the, I would think the Chuck Daly thing. It was like. That's where that, right. that's that's I mean, and I've I won't go into too much detail about it because this thing's running up, but I've hung out with Dennis Robin a couple of times and I've I've seen the Dennis Robin that's really, really, really happy where he met me for the first time and picked me up and hugged me and kissed me on the cheek. <laughs> and then I saw the part of Dennis Rodman where he got really, really moody and was screaming and yelling at everybody in a hotel lobby. And I was not expecting a kiss that time either. So that happened also. But still, 
I mean, I've seen a lot of different sides to him, so I'm pretty curious as to where that kind of goes with him. So, I mean, I mean, I don't know if they're going to make him out to be a hero, but at one point, it could be argued that Dennis Rodman was just as famous as Michael Jordan during those years, maybe even more because of the national, uh, you know, the national wise people were talking about Rodman every moment of that entire run. Well, right. He, he, he did things then that if you did them now, they're almost commonplace where he's, you know, dressing up like a woman and, um, you know, die, oh my God, he's dying his hair you know, blonde and doing, you know, coloring his fingernails. Like I, the one thing about Dennis Rodman, and I don't take away at all for what he did for the Bulls because that style of basketball, you needed somebody doing the dirty work and you could tell he was a smart basketball player. But in terms of the peripheral stuff, like he looked the part of a crazy person and like this really flamboyant, interesting, gregarious guy. But in the bites that I saw and heard and, you know, depending on other media, um, he never really said anything that interesting. So the dirty, I I feel like the dirty little secret about Dennis Rodman is that he's boring as hell, even though he, the exterior would say something different. I I also enjoy that every time they, they talk about like, and then there was the bad times of the Chicago bulls during their years. And then they, they show Dennis Rodman and it goes to black and white in slow motion and they show him kicking that camera guy in the nuts every time. And I'm always like, oh, man, <laughs> that's always like the part that's going to haunt them. Whatever they say, like, then there was bad, bad Dennis Rodman and that poor well, guy gets kicked in the nuts. Dan, and I, I assume you remember because this is probably what Carmen is challenge, uh, channeling too. when Rodman basically beat the crap out of Scottie Pippen, slamming his head, you know, into the basket base. And that was part of the that was that was pre wacky Rodman. Robin, that was just dirt ball. That yeah, that was, was that was soldier that was soldier Robin. You're right. You're right. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on this podcast. Usually I try not to do things timely and I try not to go too sports heavily, <laughs> but you guys were fun. So I knew this would kind of be a fun podcast. So thanks for coming on. The untimely podcast. <laughs> That's kind of I want I, I want I really want the evergreen stuff, but because we're sitting yeah. here quarantined, I got nothing better to do. So I might as well hang out with my friends. Thank guys, you for having us, Dan. This will be taught and dissected for years. Guys, always a pleasure. <laughs> and I didn't even pull the Dwarfman card. Maybe that'll be next week. The surprise Dwarf. <laughs> yes. All right, gentlemen. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you guys soon. All right. That's enough.